0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at renewalchicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Jump in with me. Nehemiah chapter one. That's what we'll be today. I love the book of Nehemiah and we're going to walk through this chapter by chapter, and if you want to read along with us, I pray that you do. If you need a Bible, I believe we have some on this table back there or out in the hallway. We want you to have Bibles in your hands so you can uh, underline, take that thing home with you. we got plenty of them. We want you to have a Bible uh, to read and walk through with us as we'll walk through this line by line and chapter by chapter and see what God would have for us. If you haven't been, have, if you have one already, make sure you read Ezra, Ezra. Uh, You can read that along with Nehemiah and it gives you a little bit more context as I'll talk about today. But over the next few months, we're going to walk through the book of Nehemiah where we're going to look at God's faithfulness. We're going to look at the faithfulness of God and in that this call to rebuild or reorient, if you want to say, our lives around the faithfulness of God and nothing else. I believe, as a people, we've had so many things that have happened to us throughout the last several years that has caused us to drift a bit. It's caused us to waver a bit in our faith. There have been so many unfortunate things that have happened to us or around us that many of us have questioned God. I mean, even myself this last week, myself, even Pastor Steve, we had a, a good friend of ours. A pastor that we love dearly tragically died in a plane crash. And just out of the blue. And it it I'm not gonna lie, I'm still rocked this morning a little bit from it. Uh, it just a dear man who loved the Lord with all his heart and and it, it, it causes questions and there's parts of your heart that say, What well, what well, God, what's going on? Why? And you you if you don't watch it, we tend to drift and all of us have had this happen to us at one time or another and in this season this includes all of this happening at the same time we're trying to recalibrate after a pandemic so i believe with all that said it's time for us to rebuild as a church it's time for us to reorient our lives around the lord about the thing around the things of god instead of our wants and our desires Y'all, let's rebuild. Y'all with me? Amen. Amen. Well, with that, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. If you got it, go ahead and stand to your feet with me. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, it's not that long, so some of y'all mad, I don't have you standing, but we're going to read and honor the Word of God together. Amen? All right, if you got it, go ahead and set God at it. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it's on the screen. Hear now the reading of God's Word. Says now, the words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hananani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the remnant. There, in the province, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. This is Nehemiah, and he mourned for days, and I continue fasting and praying before the God of heaven. "'Even I and my father's house have sinned. "'We have acted very corruptly against you "'and have not kept the commandments, the statues, "'and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses.' Remember, remember, I love it. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. These are the very words of God. Today, I want to preach on, and and I really want to ask you a question. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for you. Thank you for your word that's sharpened in a double-edged sword that's able to pierce to the heart of the enemy, but also shape ours. And mold us at the same time. God, we thank you for a space to gather. Even in the midst of the snow, you've brought us out. God, we thank you for a place that we didn't have some time ago where we couldn't gather. God, Lord, I pray right now, as I do always, that you would hide me behind the cross so that you may have your way in this room. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase. Let my words not be my own, but let them be yours. God, get glory in this place. And in the hearts of your people, and everyone said together, Amen. Amen. You to be seated. <clears throat> well, how many of you all have a license and can drive? Better yet, let me let me ask this way. How many of y'all have a license because some of y'all can't drive? Come on, Tim. How, how, y'all got a license, but driving in Chicago, boy, boy. Uh, how many of you that have that license have ever been in a car, and as you're driving, the wheel is straight, but as you're driving, the car starts to veer to the left, or it starts to veer to the right, but, but the wheel is straight. Y'all you've ever had that happen before? You, you kind of turn it, and, and now you're, 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 you're driving straight. You ever happen, had that happen before? And I'm not talking about you falling asleep at the wheel or anything like that. Some of y'all do that, and you just jerk and you wake back up. I'm talking about, like, as you're driving, you, you, you're looking at the wheel, it's, it's straight. But as you're driving, even though the wheel is straight, the car is not driving straight. It, it's veering to the left. It's, it's veering to the right. And in order for you to get the car going straight, you got to have the wheel kind of upside down. You, you... Some of y'all been there before this morning. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Some of y'all right there with them. Don't be ashamed. It's what we do. It, 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 sometimes your wheel is upside down and your car is driving straight all of a sudden, even though the wheel is, is not straight. And see, what this most likely indicates is that you need a wheel alignment and a wheel balance. Now, listen, this happens all the time to everyone in every car, especially in Chicago with all the potholes and snow plows and they they do the street over and they rip the pothole back. I mean, it just, and then you mad because your car is messed up again. It happens all the time. Our cars just get out of alignment and we need a wheel balance. Now, what this simply means is that you take it to the car shop and when you pull it in they're trying to align the steering wheel with the wheels so you don't have to drive upside down but the steering wheel is straight with the wheels now in order to balance the wheels what they do is they put some weights inside of the wheels you may have seen little clips or or weights on your rims and they're weighting the tires and the wheels making sure that they weigh the same all around the car so now it's aligned, so it can go straight but it's also balanced so it can drive the right way now If you catch this early on and react, it might not cost that much. It may be a hundred or so dollars. It's not that expensive, because this is a common thing that, that happens to cars. But instead, which is what we do sometimes, if you don't react to the issue and you just keep driving, with your wheel sideways and not worrying about it, that simple problem becomes much worse. Yeah. Now, because the car has been driving unevenly, you have worn out treads on some of the wheels, causing a need to buy new tires. You need new shocks, Pastor Steve. You need, you need new struts now, and then all of a sudden you like my wheel bearings and my my ball joints are going out. And now that that once $100 fix has turned into a whole front end of your car needing fix. So you went from $100 to now spending over $1,000 all because you chose to ignore the simple drifting at the beginning. Now, some of you are tracking with me. But here's the reality. Just like a car, as it starts drifting, no matter who we are in here as a believer, at one point or time in our life, our faith will begin to drift and waver a bit. And it's at that moment that we have a choice to make. Will we choose to dig in and trust God even though our circumstance may look bleak? Or will we ignore the veering of our hearts and end up worse than we could ever imagine? Now, I know in a room this size, we have people that walked in here and you don't know where you stand with the Lord this morning. You would Probably say that you're not even in a relationship with Jesus this morning. Hear me. Don't tune this out. This is a message for you as well as everyone in here too. Because I believe as we enter into the book of Nehemiah, we as a people all are in a time where we have a choice to make. Will we choose to trust God and his faithfulness or not? I love the book of Nehemiah because... Nehemiah he shows us he shows us what it looks like to stand on God's faithfulness. Nehemiah is a book where you see one man intercede on behalf of a people and he leads a time of rebuilding and realigning the nation to the will of God. Nehemiah sets out to rebuild the walls of Of Jerusalem physically, but in actuality, what's happening here, his hope is that the people would let go of their idols and all the things that they're chasing after and now realign their lives back to the God who loves them. This is a narrative of how a leader, through his faithfulness and boldness, leads a people to rebuild a nation and turn their hearts back to God. And family, here's why we're walking through this. Here's what I want you to gather. I want us as a church to be those figurative Nehemiahs that stand on the word of God and his faithfulness and lead not only this church, but this city to a place where we fall in love with God and we revere him like none other. So my point or the question I want you to ponder as we walk through today and through this book, is are you a Nehemiah-like person? Do you stand firmly on the faithfulness of God? Do you trust him? Are you a Nehemiah-like person? In order to understand what I'm saying, we got to walk through a little bit here. So if you open up your Bibles back up, verses 1 through 3, you see... Uh, Nehemiah is being told of a great trouble and shame concerning the Jews by one of his brothers, Hananani. The walls have been broken down around Jerusalem and the gates, they say, have been burned down. This is year 20 of King Artaxerxes' reign in 445 BC, and that's 13 years after Ezra. I'm going to get to him in a minute. Ezra has arrived in Jerusalem. Now, the question becomes, what in the world is this great trouble in Jerusalem that they're talking about? Well, in order to understand that, we got to look at Ezra. I just mentioned his name. So let's go to school a little bit. You got to read the book of Ezra because the author of Ezra and Nehemiah is said to be the same person. And he wrote the two books together. And so when you read them, you see a lot of the same themes in each book. You might even see the names of each one of them in, other, in each other's book. And so what you read, when you read the book of Ezra, you see that the Jews have been taken into Babylonian exile. So they've been captured by the Babylonians. And you see Ezra writing about this because he's coming back to the people. They were captured by King Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody heard his name? king, Nebuchadnezzar. He he He's the one who he tried to throw, or he did throw, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down and worship him. And when he looks down in the furnace, to his dismay, he sees them just dancing around in the furnace because they're saved by God. There's a fourth person that looks like an angel, looks like God, who has saved them, and they're having a good old time in the fiery furnace. This is the king that has captured The Jews and and put them into exile. So Ezra is now coming back into this land. So follow me here. The Jews were in exile or captivity as of 586 B.C. But in 539, King Cyrus of Persia overthrows the Babylonian Empire. And in doing so, a year later, 538 B.C., he issues a decree saying that the Jewish exiles are free to go back to their homeland. Now here's where the problems start to occur. All of the Jews... At the time, that were exiles. They didn't go back to their homeland all at the same time. They They went in waves. So a bit of them would go, and then some others would go. So hear me. Listen, listen. They're in captivity for some 50 years. And because all of them didn't go at the same time, that means that some of them were there some 70 years. And now they're traveling back to the land of Jerusalem where they came from. Y'all with me? You got to think about this. If you survived and lived that long, then you've been away from your homeland some 50 to 70 years. Can you imagine? 50 to 70 years away from your homeland. So when you return, you might most likely do not know the people that were still there that didn't go into exile And you definitely don't know all the new ethnic groups or people groups that have entered your land while you are away. On top of this, you probably don't even notice the land. You've been away so long. this, this This doesn't feel like my home. They probably feel somewhat like foreigners in their own homeland. With all of this, Ezra notices two things about the people. Number one, the people are struggling with their allegiance to God now. They're struggling with their identity. They don't know who they are as a people of God. And number two, they're entering this land and there's all these different societal pressures and social anxieties and pressures that are coming because there's all different types of people in the land and not just them. So number one, they're struggling with their identity. They don't know who they are as a people of God anymore. And secondly, they're struggling because there's so many different pressures now. Now, let me pause and bring this a little closer to home. Because it kind of sounds familiar, right? It's oddly familiar to us. See, we didn't go through a time of exile like the Jews, but we did go through a pandemic. We don't like to talk about it, but we did. Where we were locked in our homes a bit told we couldn't go different places. And while this happened, society changed. Many new people moved into the city and people moved out of the city. When we came out of the pandemic and restrictions, I don't know about you all, but in some respects, it felt like after two years of being in a normal society, when we walked back into society, I was like, this feels a little foreign feels a little foreign. People's values were different. People looked different. That might have been good or bad. The city is different. Almost every restaurant, just to kind of put this in perspective, almost every restaurant outside of our church office is new or owned by new management just within the pandemic. Neighbors are new. And worst of all, many of our or some of our devotion to God became non-existent. We devalued our relationship with God. See, our identity, just like the Jews here in this passage or in our context, our identity became discombobulated. There's this sense of lostness. And if we're honest this morning, some of us still feel that. Some of us are still sitting there. This is the trouble that Nehemiah is hearing about. Can you imagine this? All of the foolishness, too, that is occurring with these people after they've been in captivity for some 50 to 70 years. Y'all, we see all this foolishness around us, and we're like, yo, and it's only been two years. Now multiply that by 30 years. Can you imagine? See, the people have turned from God, and they've went their own way, and one would think That after God frees you from exile, that they would reverence God and be thankful. But no, they turn their hearts from God. They seek after other things. You know why this happens? I believe sometimes and many times we don't know what to do with our freedom. It's too much for us to handle. We we don't know what to do with our freedom. And instead of being thankful that by the grace of God, we're not dead or locked in jail. We live our life with no reverence for anybody or anything other than our own passions and our own desires. Then we get mad at God when he doesn't show up the way we think he's supposed to. That's a crazy conundrum, isn't it? We live our lives for number one, me. Instead of living our lives for an audience of one who is God. Nehemiah hears the words that although the people are free, the nation is in shambles. The people have lost their way. The temple is no more. And everybody and anybody is coming in and out of their land. The remnant that remained in Jerusalem and those who survived the exile are now in trouble. And I believe much of what's happening here. Is similar to where we are today. So we got to pay attention to how Nehemiah reacts. I love it. Nehemiah, his, his name means Yahweh has comforted. So Nehemiah, living up to his name right now, he goes to work on behalf of the people and he starts praying. Verse 4 says, he sat down and he wept and he mourned for days, continuing to fast as he prayed to the God of heaven. Now, if you're following me, friends, what I, with what I've been saying, Nehemiah is praying for these people. Y'all, these people don't deserve this type of kindness because they, they've been wayward out living their, their best life. But instead of judging them, Nehemiah prays. They don't deserve kindness, but someone still intercedes and prays for them. Now, some, some of y'all are missing this. I, I wish I had one or two people in here that, that understood where I was going with this. These people are undeserving of kindness, but they're still given the kindness of prayer. I wish I had someone in here that could resonate with, what, with, what, with what's going on here. I wish I had someone in here this morning that was thankful that while you were out living your best life, doing your thing, there was somebody that was on their knees praying for you, interceding for you while you were out in the world doing your thing, your mama, your granny, your auntie, your uncle, your cousin, your brother, somebody was on their knees saying, Lord, keep them. They were praying for you. And that's why you're here today. It's because somebody kept you lifted up while you were out there, you know, doing your thing, whether in college or even right now, somebody has been praying for you. These people receive kindness, and they're not seeking the Lord. Nehemiah prays for them. I I mentioned this to you guys before sometime, but, uh, you know, trying to operate a church during the pandemic, it was really tough as a minister or pastor because we weren't really with you. And one of my prayers and our staff's prayer pray for you guys. To this day, we still pray for you every week. Uh, One of our prayers, though, was that the Lord would would keep our church. He would keep the people in his hands. And it it wasn't because we were fearful of a pandemic and the sickness and COVID-19. No, no. It was that we recognized that the dangers of you or the church being isolated and outside of community for an extended period of time. Yeah, it gets tough when we're not in community, when we don't see one another. And it's worse when it happens because of some type of trouble or tribulation that you had nothing to do with. You're removed from community. That's a hard place. It's a hard place when you feel like you're on an island. It's dangerous. So we prayed for you all, and and it's even more dangerous when you're you're not in a place where you're rooted and grounded in a relationship with Jesus. See, what happens is that when you come out of that trial, when you're not rooted and grounded, when you come out of that, that tribulation, you are now worse than you were before going in it. See, the struggles you had before the trial are still present, but yet they seem a bit harder on the other side. The same temptations, they're still present, but you're more susceptible to falling to these temptations because while you were going through that trial period or in this dark season, instead of growing closer to God and more dependent on him, you grew further away from God. And see, some of us are in this place, and even on top of that, some of us—we come out of a trying time. We come out of the tribulational period, and and because things were taken away from us, we now feel like God owes us something. And so, despite inflation, Sean, we just spend more. We go on more trips than ever before. We. We say bump the budget, we throw it out, I I need this, and it's going to make me feel better, I'm old. this. And so we seek consolation, and we seek temporary satisfaction from things and people and places, and we miss the intimacy that could have been gained with God during the trial period. Now we're worse than ever before, and we feel more lost than we were before. I don't need a show of hands, but is there anybody that's been there before? I see some hands. I, ain't, I see you. I, I, thank you. Yeah, I, I know I'm in, I'm in a lot of your kitchen right now because it's quiet. Nehemiah is praying for these people that have left their first love, God, and now. They're struggling in their hearts and with their surroundings. So like the church and myself, what we did when we were out of communication with you, Nehemiah begins to pray. And friends, here's my hope for our church. Now that we're back right here in person, although it's snowing, y'all still here, we're back in person, no restrictions. We're here with one another. My hope as we walk through the book of Nehemiah is that we would... Further align ourselves and have a deeper grasp with the will of God versus our own. See, my hope is that we would be a people that would be so wrapped up in what God wants for his people, the church, that nothing else would matter. Nothing else would matter. Listen, through through this, I believe that not only will we see our church grow and amazing things happen in our lives, but God will do things in and around us that we could never imagine. In essence, in essence, uh, let, let's be a church full of Nehemiah's. Let, let's be a church full of people that are dedicated to the Lord and willing to pray on behalf of other people, not just ourselves. And so, in order to to know what that looks like, we got to look at this prayer. So, look at it with me. Nehemiah begins in the prayer, verse five. He says, "By he says, say, O Lord God of heaven, now." Notice when he says this in verse 5, he doesn't just say God of Israel. This is Nehemiah simply saying that you are the only God, God above all else. He says, you keep your covenant. Your love is steadfast to those who keep your commandments. Now, Nehemiah right here recognizes that God is a promise-keeping God. I love it. He recognizes his faithfulness, but he also, watch this, recognizes that he's a God of justice when he says, you love those who keep your commandments. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't love those who mess up or all of creation. It just means that his justice or his righteousness doesn't allow him to reward or bless wretchedness. Instead, he justly rewards those who seek him and disciplines or punishes those who don't. Now, before you go off the scale and off the track and say, "Well, God is a mean and vindictive God." Look, look listen to me. God has always been a gracious and caring God since the beginning of time. Some of y'all don't believe me. Look, look, he didn't have to make Adam and Eve, blow breath into them and form them out of the ground, out of the ground. He could have lived by himself. That's grace. He doesn't have to save them after they went against what he told them to and disobeys them. And and he comes and meets them in the cool of the day. And instead of punishing them, uh, killing them, and just wiping them all out because he could have just got rid of us then, what does he do? He sows fig leaves and covers them up. God God didn't have to start over after Noah because of the wretchedness of man. He could have just left it there, but yet he chooses to start over with Noah continually creating man after that to where we're here today. He didn't have to use Abraham. Abraham was a liar. Abraham took his wife and, and lied about her being his wife twice in order to cover up his butt. And then God, even then, doesn't punish him. But yet he comes to Abraham in his old age, at the age of 100 or so, and says, look, look, I'm going to give you a son. And through him, the the, the nations will be blessed. The nations will come through him. And, And Abraham and his wife, like, yeah, right, they laugh. But God still chooses to do so. And through him, the nations come about. That's God's grace. Uh, But I know that's not enough. See, God could have been done with us when there was 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But he still looks down at his people and he says, well, 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 they still aren't living up to this covenant. They still aren't living as a holy people of God. And instead of punishing or doing something, then what does he do? He sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus comes down here, lives the life that we should have lived. And then he goes to the cross now taking the punishment towards our sin upon himself taking the wrath of God on himself. Y'all, that's grace. And so when we believe, we get life everlasting. We don't deserve that, but he gives us a free gift of salvation. That's grace. See, what I'm trying to get at is that God has always been a gracious God, but yet at the same time, what Nehemiah is pulling out here is that he is also a just God, which is what he walks into because he says, The people, they haven't kept your law. They haven't kept the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments. So he proceeds now to plead on behalf of the people of Israel and himself. He says, Lord, please lend your ear and lend your eyes and listen to your servant. He begins to confess the sins of the people as well as his own. Now, friends, you got to pay attention to this because Nehemiah here is modeling before us how we should all humbly approach God. First, he recognizes who God is in all of his majesty and his faithfulness. And in reality, when he's doing this, what happens, and this is why he leads to repentance and confession, because when we come before a holy and almighty God who is perfect, we start to see our imperfections. We start to see how unholy we are. So what does he do? He starts to repent. He starts to confess. And Nehemiah, I love this, he uses language that is specific to the Lord while doing so. What am I talking about? When Nehemiah says this, he says, he starts with your servant. Everybody say servant. He says, your servant, this word servant is not only written here, but it's written in Ezra. Now, when you look at Ezra, Ezra uses the same word in Hebrew, and it's it's broken down to, and he uses it as slave. And so when he says slave, he's talking about being in captivity here. Uh, Nehemiah uses the same word here. But what he's saying as your servant, he's simply saying to God, I'm not a slave or servant, To any man, I revere you and you only. And now you may be sitting there saying, well, why is that so important, Pastor D? Why, Why do we need to pay attention to servant? Well, like I said at the beginning, if we're honest, our hearts are prone to wander, prone to drift. And although we may not have a king that has captured us, there are many things in our lives that continue to capture our minds and our hearts on a day-to-day basis our schedules obligations social media people our desires we can go on down the line and and these things although they're not all bad what tends to happen if you heard us say this before we take those things and we make them god things in our lives and we start to worship them instead of god okay some of y'all missing this let me let me bring it home. We're fasting right now. Well, at least we're supposed to be fasting right now. We're fasting right now. And this doesn't just happen in fasting either. It just happens when you're with the Lord. How many of you have found it hard that whether you're fasting or you're just reading your Bible, it's, it's hard sometimes to cut off your mind and think about all the things that are going on around you or what you might have to do. How many of you found that kind of hard? Okay, this one's going to hurt then. That's an indication that too many things in your life have been placed at the same level or higher than God. If we are, it, it's hard for us to be present with the Lord when we're spending time with Him or pulling away from things to spend time with Him. That's an indication that there's too many things in your life that are at the same level or higher than your devotion to the Lord. This is why we fast to recognize these things that are pulling on our hearts and and put them to the side and say, Lord, I'm here, I'm all yours. And now putting him in his right place in our lives is Lord. Nehemiah is saying, we have all gone astray, but here I am, Lord. I'm here, I'm sorry. I'm a servant of you only. So let me ask you, does the Lord have all of you Or is your allegiance split up between him and all these other things going on in your life? Does he have all of your heart? Are you faithful? That is the question. See, after Nehemiah, at this place, he after he's recognizing God's faithfulness and he says he serves no one else, I'm yours, Lord. He gets to this place where he begins to confess in verse 7 and he's saying, we've acted corruptly, we against you, and we've not kept your commandments that you gave Moses. Then verse 8, I love this because he, he says, remember. Everyone say, remember. He says, remember. Look, look at verse 8 through 10. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are to the uttermost parts of heaven, for from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah here says, remember. And by doing this, listen, he's not alluding to the fact that God has forgotten something and he needs to remind him. No, no. He's saying, I remember. I'm recalling in prayer what you said. This is one of the most powerful ways to pray is to pray the word of God. He's saying, I recall what you said. I remember your your, your, your words, Lord Jesus, and you said "You said we, we, if we do wrong or if we disobeyed, you would scatter us. You would exile us. That would be the punishment. But he, then he says, Lord, Lord, you also said if we come back recognizing our wrong, that although we were scattered, you would bring us back together to the place that you have chosen, and there you will make your name great. In essence, Nehemiah is saying time and time again, you have done this for your people. You brought us out of Egyptian slavery, and now you've brought us out of exile. And although you've been gracious, God, the work is not done. Lord, we still need you right now. Lord, there are people coming in and out of our land. It's not secure. We're open to their vices and our own vices. We need your presence, Lord. We need you here with us. See, Nehemiah is interceding on behalf of these people to the Lord, but then he also says, make your name great. Now, I know some of you are looking up here and you're like, well, Pastor D, why are you so passionate about this? Why, why, I, I hear the prayer. I see what Nehemiah is doing, but what does this have to do with us? Why, 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 why is this so significant to us? Listen to me. Nehemiah, in this instance, is just a type of Christ that points us to Jesus, the great intercessor. How y'all missed it? Nehemiah points us to what Christ has done and is still doing for us today. When Jesus comes to the earth, he came as the unblemished lamb of God who sent to take away the sins of the world. So those that believe will not experience the punishment or the wrath of God, which is death. But instead, when we believe, we'll experience life everlasting. Jesus doesn't just pray, but he actively intercedes and takes our punishment upon the cross. He actively intercedes, and he's still doing that to this day. Hebrews tells us in chapter 7, verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Always. So Jesus doesn't just die and intercede on behalf of us. But he is constantly making intercession before the Father for those who come to him in repentance. What does this mean? This means that even though we mess up and we sin, when we come to him and we ask forgiveness, here's the reality. He's already standing between the gap between you and God. So when God is looking down, he ain't seeing your mess ups and your imperfections. What he's seeing is you cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus. And he's saying, well done. See, Jesus is always standing in the gap. He's the continual one that intercedes on our behalf. That's true intercession. He's the great intercessor. See, Nehemiah's pointing to Jesus' intercession on our behalf. That's why it's significant to us. But what we can't miss here is that while Nehemiah's praying, he says, God, I know you remember your word. I know you remember your promise. I know you'll make your name great. But then verse 11, uh, this is where I want us to go home. This is where he ends. He he recognizes God's faithfulness. He confesses. He recalled the promises of God. But now he repeats in verse 11 what he does in verse 6. and says, basically, hear my prayer and now grant your servant favor in the face of this king. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. It's one of the highest positions in society. He's standing next to the king, making sure his cup is filled. He's there with all the conversations, everything that's happening around. And so he knows he has this position. But now he's, I got to go before the king and ask him to to rebuild this this nation of Jerusalem. He, He wants to lead the people to rebuild the nation of Jerusalem. Him going before the king, this is not an easy thing. This is a hard, dangerous thing to do. At the very least, the king might just say no, but he could do way more than that. And so he says, God, please grant me favor as I go before this king. And as we keep reading, God does grant him that favor. But friends, as we end the day, hear me. We as a people, we sit on the other side of Jesus's intercession. Unlike Nehemiah. And if God worked back then in Nehemiah's prayer, imagine what he could do today. Here's my challenge to all of us, an invitation to you. Let us be a people that recognizes God in all of his majesty and faithfulness. Let us be a people that's known for confession and repentance, but at the same time begs God to move and build his church. Like I began today, many of us, we've, we've really lost our way in our relationships with God. We've, we've, we've wavered. We've, we've been drifting. And, and some of us, we walk in here, we, we, we don't even have that relationship with God. But hear me, you're here today. You're sitting here today in his church. Let's start this new year off as a people. That turns their face to God and in turn intercedes and calls on God to do great things within this church and within our lives. Let us call on God and beg Him to revive this city. God, let us be a people that are more generous than we've ever been before. God, let us see a church that grows to where there are no walls that can hold us within. God, let us be a godly community to where when people see us, they just drop to their knees and start worshiping with us. God, let us be a church where we send missionaries out and we send churches to be planted. God, let us build up leaders and make more disciples. God, let us be a people who are not hindered by our finances. God, let us be a people that seeks justice and righteousness. God, let us be a people that calls on your name and sees you do more than we could abundantly ask or imagine through Renewal Church. Family, will you join me in being a people in 2023 where we yearn for nothing? but God to move in our lives and for him to work through us to further the kingdom for his glory to the other ends of the world. This is how Nehemiah prayed and the Lord answers. Let us be a church full of Nehemiahs. Faithful. And watch him move. But this starts with us Believing in his faithfulness, believing that he is a good and awesome God, and in that, humbling ourselves and saying, God, I've put all these things and all these people before you in my life. I'm sorry, but all I want right now is you, Lord. In the rightful place of Lord in my life, I've tried all this stuff. I need you. You give me satisfaction. You give me fulfillment. I need you, Lord. And through that, giving your life to him, watch God do amazing things on the other side of it. Y'all with me? Let's rebuild. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are awesome, glorious, and a good God. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your presence, but you still see fit to have us and to want to be in relationship with us. God, let that always humble us, but God, let it also, in turn, move us to intercede and to pray for those around us, not just ourselves. God, let us lower when well, we think of ourselves and let the view or the perception of you grow larger in our lives, Lord Jesus, because you've been gracious and good to us. And God, and you're working in our lives and you're moving through our church. God, let us see amazing and awesome and great things happen in our midst, things that we could never imagine as we seek to rebuild our lives and reorient our lives around you, God, do something amazing in our midst. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. God, what, what, what could we do? What could you do here? But, Lord, that starts with us humbling ourselves before you, building our lives on your faithfulness, and in turn being faithful to your will and not our own. God, if there are folks in here that are struggling in a way like this, trusting you, Maybe they prayed the prayer as I was talking and said, I, I've been trusting all these things and I just need to give my life. I need, I need to set the record straight and have you Lord over my life. Lord, I pray as you enter their hearts right now, God, that you would set them on fire for you. That they'd run in ways for you that they've never done in their life and that you would continually affirm and assure them not only of their salvation, but the fact that you're good. I pray that for all of us, Lord Jesus, because we all waver that we know that there's a father that loves us that's good cares for us even in the midst of our mess we love you lord it's in your name we pray all these things everyone said together amen amen thanks again for tuning into our podcast today i pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul i look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m on sunday morning take care god bless you